This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. Why does downtown stink? Why is my sewer bill so high? What does it mean that the city of Chattanooga is under an EPA consent decree? We'll answer all those questions and more in this interview with Mark Heinzer, the administrator for the city of Chattanooga Wastewater Department. I'd like to thank my Patreon sponsors for supporting the show, especially the Marks family and Stephen Culp. If you're enjoying the podcast, newsletter, or Instagram feed, please consider supporting me at patreon.com slash chat civics. My name is Mark Heinzer. I'm the administrator for the city's wastewater department. Mark, thank you for sitting down with me. Um, I was telling you before we started recording, this has been one of our most requested episodes. People are really interested about what goes on here at Moccasin Bend and how it affects the city and how it affects their pocketbooks and uh, how it affects the future growth of, of the city of Chattanooga. So I want to start with a broad overview of the sewer system. When I flush a toilet or take a shower somewhere in Chattanooga, what is the path that that water takes to end up here at Moccasin Bend? Sure, I'll, I'll walk you through that. So in every house, you know, your, your toilets, your showers, your sinks, everything kind of comes into one pipe underground underneath that house that we refer to as a sewer lateral. It's usually a three inch or four inch diameter pipe that comes from the house to the main sewer, usually in the street. Um, and it's all just gravity flow. It's um, just relying on, on the fall of the land and the fall of the pipe to get water from point A to point B. Uh, at some point, those pipes start to get pretty deep as you're following uh, you know, the downhill slope there. And usually that water from all the homes on that street will, will end up at a pump station. And we have about 80 pump stations around the city. And what that pump station will do is then pump that water back up to a higher elevation and let it flow back downhill again. Uh, and that process continues uh, depending on how far out in the city you are from, from you know, the Moccasin Bend uh, Peninsula here, uh, you may go through several pump stations before it actually gets to the wastewater treatment plant. But that's the general path it takes. So once it gets to the treatment plant, we're here, and this, this plant serves not just Chattanooga, but a lot of the surrounding area, correct? Correct. This is a regional wastewater treatment plant. And I think I was reading on the website, it's got a service population of about 400,000 people. Correct. Um, what is the current treatment capacity of the plant? Um, I guess for folks listening, I know it's usually probably measured in you know millions of gallons per day or something like that, but what does that equate to in number of bedrooms served or something like uh, that? Oh, it's a good question. I don't know that I've done that calculation, but um, it's... Uh, you know, our treatment capacity here is 140 million gallons per day um, during, we will say, dry weather. When uh, we get a rain event, which we can talk about in the future of this podcast here, what happens when it rains, that, uh, that flow increases uh, the capacity. We engage our wet weather treatment train, which adds another 90 million gallons per day. So we can, right now, we can kind of take in 230 million gallons per day. Um, to uh, for treatment when uh, when we need to. That's the maximum capacity we're at at this point. And w- how much of that capacity is being used, kind of on a on a regular basis? How yeah. full are y'all? So so typically, if there's been no rain in the last couple of days, our flow to the plant is probably between forty and fifty million gallons per day. Wow. So 
when you look at, oh, we've got a capacity of, you know, 230 and we're only getting 40 to 50 a day, we've seems like we have a lot of capacity. But as soon as it rains, that flow jumps up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we get to maximum capacity pretty quickly with, you know, just one or two inches of rain. We'll start getting close to what we can handle. So the limiting factor is not the amount of wastewater that's come in or the amount of people who live in Chattanooga or the Chattanooga area, the limiting factor is how much stormwater has come in into this facility. Exactly. And okay, that makes sense. Um, so that makes this next question a little complicated. How long do we have before the sustained growth of Chattanooga that we're seeing right now starts to put pressure mm-hmm. on the treatment plan? So we're doing a lot of our projects are related to that, what we call capacity insurance to assure that we have capacity for future growth. And what we what we basically are doing is eliminating opportunities for the rainwater to get in, mm-hmm. which allows more opportunity for growth in wastewater to get into the system. So right. a lot of our projects are geared towards two, two things, either getting the, uh, the stormwater and the rainwater out of the system and keeping it out of the system, or maybe creating some storage capacity that gives us a little bit of a buffer time while mm-hmm. there is a rain mm-hmm. event, just to store it store it for a short period of time until the uh, the plant has the capacity, and then we would slowly release that into the plant. So those two things are two of our main pushes right now to ensure that we have capacity for growth. Right. So what are some of the ways that stormwater is making it into this system? Yeah, there's a couple of different ways. Um, one particular way is in the downtown core area where we have a combined uh, stormwater wastewater system. So back in the day when the when the city was being built out, um, all the water, all the all the wastewater just went to the river. There was there was no treatment plant. You know, mm-hmm. back in the 1800s, early 1900s, there was nothing to treat it, and it just went right to the river. Those pipes are still in use today. A lot of those um, old brick sewers that were put in place that carry both stormwater and wastewater. And that's also the source of some of the odors downtown is that all that water goes into uh, one pipe. Right. Um, and when you have to have catch basins for the stormwater, and you have to have these inlets in the curbs, you have to get the stormwater off the streets while they're going into a pipe that might have some wastewater in it. So those odors can find their way out sometimes, and that's what creates some of the odors that, that people experience. Uh, and the, um, the issue of trying to separate the uh, uh, stormwater pipes from the wastewater pipes in the downtown area is just financially unfeasible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just no way to to do that without really crushing the economy on the streets. We're doing the work in, and also the cost of such an endeavor in in that area would be just astronomical, and the rates would go sky high to do the separation. So what we do instead is uh, we create the, the the storage that we're doing, which is a cheaper alternative to trying to do all the separations. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of how we're handling that. Um, the other way that rainwater gets in is through uh, older pipes that are just leaking, like groundwater. When it rains, the ground gets saturated, and then that water can make its way into, into those stormwater pipes. Or if a river rises, a, st- a stream floods and gets into a manhole lid or things like that, there's... Um, you know, every we've got I think 1,200 miles of sewer pipe that mm-hmm. varies in age from built last year to built 60 years ago or more. You know, and so those pipes uh, can just experience some. They get cracks, the roots grow into them, um, separate the pipe joints, and this water just gets in. Uh, additionally, since we're a regional plant, we've got 
different communities around us that also have old systems, not just the city of Chattanooga. So you've got, you know, the northern Georgia counties and you've got the Hamilton County outside of the city and they've got their aging systems as well. And they're all working to do the same thing we're doing. But all of that area just creates an opportunity for these old pipes to get what we call I and I inflow and infiltration. And, and that water just gets in from from all over the place. So it's not even the combined section of town downtown is like four square miles, uh, but that's not even like the the worst part of the stormwater infiltration. It's the, oh, the wow. massive collection system throughout the whole region that is old and aging and um, needing to be you know rehabbed to keep that water out. And so we we fight both of those battles in different ways. Mm-hmm. So I want to back up and talk about the the odor for a moment. Um, that's something that gets a lot of conversation on social media and just kind of you know people coming and visiting. How is the wastewater department combating the odor generated by those combined systems? Yes, it's it's a challenge because it really is dependent. If if you if we're getting you know routine rainfall, the odors aren't nearly as bad. Uh, because that water continually gets kind of washed through and it's mm-hmm. mixed with, you know, it's mostly rainwater to begin with and you don't you don't get those odors. But as you get in the summer months and it gets hot and it gets dry, uh, those odors become more prevalent. And it's hard to, hard to combat those when you have hundreds of different ways for the uh, odor to get out of the system. There's catch basins all over the right. downtown area. And so we do try, we, we've retrofitted some, some of the uh, different manholes and things to create a, a, a vapor trap. And we've also... Uh, we will also put in um, deodorant blocks uh, to try to uh, alleviate that as well. But there's just there's no like um, super efficient way to do that um, in the system as as big as ours. Uh, we do our best to keep up with it. But there's you know in a combined sewer system, you probably always have a place where something's going to get out. Right. So you said you talked about how economically difficult it would be to take those old downtown combined sewer pipes and, and separate those out on a, on a mass scale. Mm-hmm. Are there any plans to do that on more of a piecemeal basis, or is this just such a small part of the puzzle that it's not really the yeah. largest priority right now? No, we definitely look at opportunities for that. So when, when redevelopment occurs in the downtown area, sometimes we'll look and see, hey, is this an opportunity to do a separation? Since mm-hmm. we're, we're going to be tearing up this road or we're going to be tearing up this parcel as it is anyway, now's an opportunity to do that. And we definitely look at that. And we've got some uh, over by Erlanger Hospital, we've, we've done some work to try to get to a separation in that area because mm-hmm. that's also combined over there. Um, so we're, we haven't, uh, we've got plans to do some separation out there. Uh, and also along the riverfront, uh, we're hoping to do some more um, separation uh, in those areas as well. I think a few years ago we did some separation. You know, the closer we are to the river, the more opportunity there is to get the stormwater right to the river where it needs right. to go and the wastewater to the plant. So right. um, as you get further away from the river, it's harder to do those projects because it just means more infrastructure and more disturbance. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of handled on a more opportunistic basis it is. rather than a comprehensive basis. You just take whatever opportunity you can get, separate it where you can, and, and move on yeah um for these other parts of the system we're talking about the i and i the inflow Mm -hmm. inflow and infiltration what is being done to remedy that yeah so that's part of our consent decree is to evaluate the the worst we we have the the city divided up into different basins and to identify the the basins with the worst uh, inflow and infiltration and we identified i think 
29 of those during the consent decree uh, generation. And we're going through each of those and we're doing sewer rehabilitation. So what we'll do is we'll put a camera down the line and we'll look and see what kind of problems are we having? Are there cracks? Are there are there connections that shouldn't be there? Some Sometimes rooftops are connected to the sewer and we don't want that. We don't want rooftop water getting in there. Mm -hmm. So we can find illicit connections. We can um, we can find cracks. We can find root intrusions that's allowing water to get in there. Pipes that will have separated over time and just gaps there. Uh, so we'll put a camera in there and we'll we'll take a video of every every foot of pipe that we have, and we can analyze those videos um, and determine you know what's the condition of this pipe, and then. We will either have to, if there's a problem, we'll dig it up and we'll replace it. Or a lot of times we can just reline it in place. We don't have to do any excavation. We can actually put a sleeve in there uh, with an epoxy um, coating on there and, and basically reline that pipe and create a new, a new pipe out of an old shell, so mm -hmm. to speak. And so we're doing a lot of that um, in, in most of the areas. Uh, we've got projects going on every pretty much all year round doing that exact work. Um, and so we will continue to do that. And we also have a system of uh, going out and, and looking at the, uh, the pipes in different areas on a, on a schedule. So it's not like we're just waiting for someone to call and say, hey, I, my toilet won't flush or there's this odor here or there. We actually have a schedule where we're going around and proactively putting our camera in there and looking and see when, what's going on. It looks good. Okay, well, you know, three, four years later, we'll come back and look again. Mm -hmm. uh, we do this routinely so that we're not um, kind of behind the eight ball on our maintenance. Right. So you mentioned the, the EPA consent decree. Can you give me some of the history behind that? What is it? When was it put into place? What does it mean mm -hmm. for Chattanoogans in general? Yeah, so that, that goes back, the, the consent decree was entered into in 2013, I think it was April of 2013, um, and that was after years of negotiation with the EPA, uh, with the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation, and also a third-party environmental group that uh, brought basically, basically it's a, a way to, uh, a legal legal means to, to make corrections as opposed to going into a, a lawsuit and going to court and all that stuff. So... Um, Chattanooga at that time recognized that they had a problem. Um, the, uh, the, the the people in charge were were willing to enter into that negotiation and enter into that that uh, consent decree in order to start making progress towards towards fixing that problem. And mm -hmm. you know, it, it's it's not uncommon. There's a lot of cities that have gone through this, uh, and it's just the evolution of wastewater over over time. Um, you know, back in the 40s and 50s, there was no such thing as a wastewater treatment plant around here. Everything just went, even the industrial waste and everything just went right to the rivers. And that's where, you know, Chattanooga got some some bad uh, press in, in those years because of the, the problems it was having. It was a very industrial city and it was starting to show. Um, and then, the you know, the city leadership back then started the process. So they put in what we call interceptor sewers, where all those sewer pipes used to just dump into the rivers. They, they ran up a large diameter pipe along the river, intercepting all those flows that were going into the different streams and creeks and rivers around here. Uh, called the, and they would call that the interceptor sewer system. Mm -hmm. And then all of those then were then funneled towards the wastewater treatment plant that was built in the 1960s, early 1960s. So back then they were already recognizing they had a problem, started to work on it. The 1960s, this plant came online, and it's grown since then, but it's grown in here and it's grown there, and the city's grown. Of course, the region has grown, um, and uh, 
the uh, the evolution of environmental regulations has changed as well. And so what was acceptable back in 1960 is no longer acceptable. And so the, the way to, to combat that was to, you know, to enter into this consent decree and, and create a path to, to getting this, um, the whole system basically up to uh, modern standards. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about how storm events can overwhelm this system. What happens during those events when you have these huge inflows that are happening often rather quickly over the course of a couple hours? Where does all of that extra water go? Yeah. So it, whatever, you know, whatever that makes its way into the pipe, whatever rainwater and wastewater makes its way into the pipe is, is likely going to get to us at some point in time, unless Mother Nature has some other plans. But typically we... Um, we're, we're, we've been uh, much better at being able to capture those uh, those rain events. Uh, and what what happens is the you know the pump stations start ramping up. We've got our pump stations all have backup pumps, so that we can engage. Maybe during a normal day we use one pump. Well, we've got a backup sitting there. If the rain comes, we're pumping more. We turn on an extra pump and we're pumping more. And all of that uh, when it comes to the plant. We can we can ramp up our our operations here at the plant too. We've got redundant systems uh, in order to handle all that wastewater that comes here. Uh, now, it, in the event that you know if we got um, uh, you know a ten inches of rain in one event, or you know something like that happened in in Nashville in 2010 where they got 20 inches of rain, there's there's no way to design for something like that, mm -hmm. and and um, things will just get get inundated, and and there'll be a lot of other problems as well, but. The, the projects that we've done to date through the consent decree and even outside the consent decree on our own for our capital projects have reduced our issues of, of sewer overflows uh, due to rain by almost 90% since the start of the consent decree. So um, for us, that's a, that's a big win. When you're talking millions of gallons per year used to be uh, discharged into the uh, into the Tennessee River untreated, that, none of that's happening anymore. We've mm -hmm. eliminated that major overflow that happened um, and also many of the other uh, chronic overflows throughout the city. So are there any, I guess, how often do those overflows occur now, Yeah, I guess? It, 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 from a rain event perspective, it's, it's pretty rare. So what we call a chronic overflow is, is a location that overflows five times or more per year. And we've pretty much eliminated all those. So, mm -hmm. so what happens now is something will happen where we'll get a blockage, or a pipe will collapse, and we don't know it until it rains. Like mm -hmm. we don't, it's not a problem until the pipe gets you know kind of flooded with with extra flow. Um, it might be able to handle the, the daily flow from the residents and everything else, but um, but there's a problem structurally with the pipe, and we'll we'll find out. Uh, and so those those things happen, and with an aging system, you're probably always going to have things like that that pop up. Um, I don't have like the frequency, but it's maybe, you know, depending on on how much rain we get, um, it might happen once or twice a month in a in a, in a month that's got got rain. Mm -hmm. It probably wouldn't happen if we didn't have any rain. Mm -hmm. And so. do those overflows happen at kind of specific points? That could be anywhere. So anywhere. that's the thing. It's like it's a little bit like playing whack-a-mole where it happens over here, we'll go find out what's wrong. So we've done so much proactive looking at the system and we've we've logged every um, overflow that's been reported since the 
dawn of the consent decree that we mm -hmm. knew all the hotspots and we've eliminated just about all those hotspots. So we, those hotspots aren't really problems anymore, but we see these other little places that pop up. Uh, sometimes it's uh, because of construction nearby damaged a pipe and we don't know about it until, until we get a rain event. Right. And so I think that the, you know, we will always be responding to, uh, hey, you know, calls saying there's an overflow because the system is just old. And uh, we, we expect that each pipe is going to have a, have a lifespan, and at some point we'll have to go do something. But we mm -hmm. don't always know that ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about a lot of the background, a lot of what happens kind of behind the scenes. And I think we've got the context now to get into some of the more pocketbook issues that people are concerned about. So I want to start with how wastewater is billed. Um, I, I see people ask a lot, why is my wastewater being billed? by the amount of water I'm using rather than the amount of wastewater I'm putting into the system. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, because not every drop of water goes into the sewer. Or some of it yeah. ends up on your lawn or in your pool or something like that. Sure. Um, so, so why is wastewater billed the way it is in Chattanooga? So we don't have wastewater meters on every mm -hmm. house. So, But there is a water meter on every house. So what we do is we, you know, we kind of rely on the reading from the water meter. But what we do is take that, that reading and we knock it down by 10%. Mm -hmm. Because we know that you've watered your lawn, you've maybe washed your car, you've done something that didn't get it to the to the plant, to the wastewater treatment plant. So we acknowledge that at least 10% of that is not coming to us, and we won't bill you for that, that 10%. So we bill you for 90% of the potable water that you use mm -hmm. um, uh, at your house. That's kind of how that billing is done. And then... How is the sewer rate determined, and especially in relation to the water rate? I know mm -hmm. Chattanooga Wastewater is not the water provider, and so there's yeah. there's kind of some separation there. Um, but I, I often see people kind of confused about why the the wastewater rate is mm -hmm. you know twice as much as the water rate. So walk me through how these rates are determined. Uh, well, the rates are determined. It has nothing really to do with the water rates at all, or mm -hmm. it's not really based on that at all. What it's based on is what we know that we have to spend to operate the wastewater treatment plant, uh, to to do the capital projects uh, required by the consent decree, mm -hmm. uh, to do the maintenance on the system, and, and all those things. So we've got you know we've got about 160 employees here that that operate this plant 24/7, 365. We have someone here every minute of every day, even. Christmas Eve, like there's somebody here um, manning the, the, the controls. Um, and so we've, uh, you know, we calculate all our expenses uh, and we've got a financial model that we look five, 10 years out in the future and say, okay, we, we know we're going to replace this, you know, this particular piece of um, capital at this point in time. And so we, def we you know, kind of defer those costs over time. Um, if we had to just like pay for things up front, it would be you'd have weird spikes in, in rates and it, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So we've got this financial model where we, we kind of spread everything out. It's like financing your house, right? You're going to spread things out. You're not going to buy your house with cash on day one necessarily unless you're you know wealthy enough to do so. You Usually you'll get a, a mortgage for it. We kind of do the same thing with our capital projects. We expect our infrastructure to last 50, 60 years. Mm -hmm. And so we spread out that cost. And when we do that, we look at what are we doing and 
how does this look with the, with the rates? And so we get low interest loans. Um, you know, the state of Tennessee provides uh, opportunities for low interest loans, as does the federal government for infrastructure. Uh, so we utilize those low interest loans to finance these projects so we won't have these huge spikes in, in, in rates. But we do have to pay those loans back over time. And so those are usually 30 year, 20 or 30 year loans. And so we look at what is that uh, debt service that we have to do? And we basically adjust the rates accordingly. So we don't have this big, you know, money bin where we just keep all this extra money that we bill for. It's actually all allocated out into the future to pay off the debts that we we have to do due to the consent decree and due to deferred maintenance, just right. of other things. So as we start to come to the, the close of the consent decree, perhaps, and and finish some of these larger capital improvement projects that kind of catch us up to speed and modernize mm-hmm. our system. What is the outlook for sewer rates? Yeah, the, the hope, and of course, that's going out further. The consent decree still has several years left mm-hmm. on it. We're still, we're still way into it. And we'll still be paying off those debts 2040, 2050. Right. <laughs> so there's still a long outlook in that. But but the idea is that you don't, you, going into the future, future administrations here aren't deferring maintenance and they're, they're kind of mm-hmm. uh, keeping up with things as you go along. And so you would expect that there's, you know, there's inflation, there's, there's, you know, things, things inflate differently. Construction inflates differently than food and stuff like that. But right. uh, we do a lot of, we have a lot of construction activity and some of those costs have, have gone up quite considerably over the, over the years, especially things with, whether it's electrical uh, components or it's um, ductile iron pipe or things like that. The prices have just been all over the board and it's hard to keep track of. So there are going to be increases in rates, but probably not like we've seen during the, the middle of this consent decree where early on in the consent decree, we had 9% like every year. It's now down to 6% and we mm-hmm. hope that goes lower. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, that's the hope is that we can get to where we're just kind of tagging along with the inflation and and we're not uh, looking at investing huge amounts of, of capital at any one given time. We're looking right. ahead and getting ahead of these things so that we don't have that issue that we have with the consent decree. Mm-hmm. So zooming back out again, Moccasin Men is kind of the center of a much larger system. And you talked about how it's interconnected with a lot of different jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the biggest one would be the Hamilton County WWTA. Yes. What is that relationship like, both, both with them specifically and with these other jurisdictions who are, who are using this facility in a way, but kind of operating and managing their own infrastructure. Sure. So, so in each of the, we have like nine, uh, what we call inter-jurisdictional agreements with these different entities, our, our regional customers. Um, and we uh, basically, where their system, their collection system connects to, to our city pipes, we've got a meter that tells us how much flow they're giving us. And they're built on how much flow they give us. So they have an incentive to reduce their flow, mm-hmm. reduce their I and I, you know, because a lot of those areas have big problems when it rains as well. They have overflows in their system. They're th- they're sending us as much water as the pipe will carry, and they're paying for it. Um, and so they have an incentive to reduce that, and and that helps us too because it keeps more capacity in our pipes for our our citizens. So uh, we work with them closely. We have meetings. Um, very routinely with the different uh, agencies, you know, that we work with uh, to talk about the different issues that we have. We coordinate very closely with Hamilton County because they kind of are they're our biggest regional customer, and we coordinate very closely with them. Uh, we meet with them every month and in some way, shape, or form and talk to them about a variety of issues. 
so we have a very close relationship with them. And uh, they're, of course, with their consent decree now, they're working on some of the same things that we've been working on over the past decade. Uh, they're going to be looking at reducing their I&I, and that's mm-hmm. just going to help their, their situation uh, as well. And it'll help, actually, their consent decree will help the city because it will reduce their flows into the city system, which we want capacity there as well. So Right. It all works together. It's one. It's one system, and that's kind of the tough part for you know how how it's managed is that it's it's all connected, uh, but politically it's different, and so mm-hmm. yeah, there's some navigation there. But we have good relationships with them. Great. Well, I've got one last question. This comes from one of the patrons of the podcast. Um, the city was previously sending wastewater samples to a company called Biobot mm-hmm. to analyze for traces of COVID, and that program was since discontinued. Uh, I think sometime last year or maybe early this year. Why was that discontinued and, and what mm-hmm. does that kind of, what do those tools look like going forward? Sure. So we had uh, been approached during the, the height of COVID, we'd been approached by Biobot to to do some um, sampling and uh, we had chose to continue that for a little bit longer after that pilot um, project concluded because we were interested in the data. We were paying for that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, as COVID kind of uh phased out, uh, we also just, you know, discontinued that that particular program. Uh, we have been approached by other research uh, groups that want to get samples of our, our our wastewater to do this same type of analysis, not just for, for COVID, but for other viruses as well. Mm-hmm. And we are providing those samples to them and they're doing their research with it. So there's still a data being collected. It's not the city's data. We're not doing anything internally with that, right? So they, they will share the data with the health department and the stuff, uh, these entities that are doing that. But we're just providing the opportunity to do the sampling at this point because we didn't want to pay for it when we weren't really using the data to to do anything at the time because, mm-hmm. you know, COVID had phased out pretty well. And so that's why we discontinued it. But mm-hmm. that research, others are still doing that. We're just not doing it as a city. Uh, internally. Right. So it's, yeah. it doesn't have that same kind of public facing. Correct. Element. Correct. Yeah. Great. Well, that's all I have. Is there anything else that you want to cover before we sign off? Um, I don't. I don't think so. Just we do have a website, clearchattanooga.com, that people can check out some of the projects that we have going on and some of the things that we've done. So people can check that out. And as always, if you have any problems, uh, call three one one. Any any call to three one one will get to us, and we will respond to it. Um, that's the best way to do it. So call us before you call your council person because we can probably address your problem pretty easily, and and we know they're busy too. But uh, you're always welcome to to call to call us here directly. You can call your council person. You can call three one one. It all works, but three one one gets it in a database that so we can track. So we like to do three one one because we've got uh, we've got a record of it then, and mm-hmm. we and we uh, we will definitely respond to that. So we appreciate. Uh, the opportunity to, to talk with you, uh, Nathan, and uh, just uh, yeah, if there's any ever questions, uh, people can feel free to reach out. Great. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. Find more civic resources at chattanoogacivics.com. Chattanooga Civics is a member of the Podnooga Network. To find more great podcasts from local creators, find Podnooga on Facebook and Instagram or on the web at podnooganetwork.com. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnooga Network.